RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Ryan Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. What? This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Happy Friday! What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Duffified Live. I am Brian Duffy, also known as Chef Brian Duffy. Or if you want to follow me on Instagram and Twitter, that is Chef Brian Duff, C H E F B R I D U F F. Uh, a crazy couple of weeks. I know I say that with every single show because it feels like it's it's like when I record these, it's usually at the beginning of the week. We try to get them done. Um, I have been traveling. I've been all over the place. So we are uh, kind of just doing a whole bunch of banking of some podcasts. Um, a couple of things I want to kind of get into this week uh, for our intro is I want to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that's going on. You guys know my love of Eater. I'm a huge fan of Eater. Um, the information that they put out is great. They've got a bunch of fluff pieces as well, but they also have some stuff that's pretty neat. And this week I was reaching out, I was kind of doing a little bit of research on some TV stuff because I always look for really cool shows that I can watch on, on Instagram or on Netflix or something like that when I'm flying. Or, you know, if I have a little bit of downtime at the end of the day, I, I, I don't work all day. Um, at the end of the day, I like to sit down for a couple minutes. I'll kind of co- close my phone and uh, I'll put a Netflix show on or something like that. And I just read this article that's coming out. Uh, this was put, put, put together by uh, Chris Furmeister uh, and the Eater staff, as well as a guy named Greg Moore. Abido. Uh, this this article came out on April 2nd. Um, so this is food TV uh, and movies to watch on Netflix and HBO this April. Um, so if you're if you're looking for more streaming recommendations, you can go and check out uh, Eater's newsletter, Eat, Drink, and Watch, which talks about all that stuff. But there's a couple of really cool things that are coming out. Chef's Table, which is all for pastry. You know, we have an amazing show. We There's an amazing show called Chef's Table, uh, which is really neat uh, because um, it gives you a full insight, not only into what these chefs are putting together, but the brain as well. And, and, and what they're, what they're, what they're creating their artistic world in which they live. Um, chef's table in my mind is just a beautiful, beautiful show. It's, it's cinematography. Cinematography is awesome. The content is great. The editing that they do is just beautiful. I love the shots of the food and the way that they put it together. And it's super inspirational for me as well. You know, I'm not in a restaurant every single day. So my culinary brain doesn't have the same, uh, kind of repetition that a restaurant chef does with they're standing in a restaurant. So for me, when I'm creating items, it's coming through my own brain of items that I want to put together, as well as a lot of research that goes into some of the newer, hotter things that are happening. Some of these shows are just beautiful because you really do get a great kind of insight into some of the neat, the, the neat stuff that goes on in the restaurant world and in a chef's mind. So um, chef's tables coming out uh, middle of April, um, or already came out in the middle of April. It's kind of neat um, with what they do with it. There's a bunch of really good people. Christina Tosi, Will Goldfarb, Jordi Roca, uh, Corrado Asenza um, that are across four episodes. So it's kind of neat with that stuff. Um, uh, you know, there's a new show that came out called Nailed It. Uh, it's a great British British Bake Off. These I love British shows. I love watching them. The, the kind of the, the world that they create in there is kind of neat as well. Um, Amazon Prime has a 1995 movie that came out uh, called A Feast at Midnight. So if you've got Amazon Prime, um, check that out as well. Um, 
Another one that's that's on Netflix right now is called Beer Fest, uh, which is a really neat little show uh, that, that a few years after releasing um, Super uh, Super Troopers, uh, the Broken Lizard comedy team followed with this sophomore drunkard flick. Uh, the gist, a couple of brothers and their friends train for a super secret beer drinking, like stupid shows, but they're kind of fun to watch through. Um, uh, you know, there's another show that was on Amazon Prime that was called uh, uh, eat the world with Emeril Lagasse, which is going to be a little bit of a shameless plug here because it was my brothers who created that show. But if you hop onto Amazon Prime, you can check it out. It's called Eat the World with Emeril Lagasse. It won two Emmys. Um, it was nominated for a couple of James Beard Awards. Uh, actually, nom- nominated for five Emmys altogether, but it won Best Culinary Program and Single Camera Editing. So it's kind of neat with that. Um, if you haven't had an opportunity to check out Ugly Delicious with uh, with David Chang, uh, please do this. Uh, uh, Momofuku mastermind and mind of a chef alum, David Chang is getting back on the airwaves with his new Netflix series. Chang takes a bit of the Bordanian approach and travel the globe, eating and drinking with various chefs, writers, artists, and entertainers. Chang says he wants the show to be a collaborative forum, a place where it's okay to have strong opinions and honest conversations about food. And one of the first ones that I watched, he was in his kitchen with his mother cooking. And it was, it was really kind of neat to watch that that show happen and come together I, I really enjoyed it so um if you get a chance check out ugly delicious um there's a show that came out in january uh that's called rotten and it's a six-part documentary that explores the corruption in the food industry uh one episode focuses on the inequality in the mass market poultry business while another shines a light on fraud in the world of honey manufacturing uh the trailer makes this series look something like the food world's fahrenheit 911 but anthony bourdain's uh or 911 anthony bourdain's frequent collaborators at zero point production are behind rotten uh last year the team also released wasted a compelling documentary about the global food food waste program and what chefs and activists are doing around the world to curb it. Um, so check that out. And then I, I've got to come into the world of somebody feed Phil. Uh, we, we had Phil Rosenthal on the show, it's just such a, a delight to have him on here and have that conversation, go back to the episode and listen to him talk. He's the same dude uh, that he is on air. Uh, and, and in real life, he's the same guy. Uh, everybody loves Raymond co-creator Phil, Phil Rosenthal eats his way through some of the best food cities around the world. Uh, just so you know, like Phil, took his passion for food and turned it into a show traveling the world and, and, and seeing all of this amazing stuff and, and little areas all over. Um, he makes friends, uh, and cracking jokes at every stop on his journey. Rosenthal and his crew won a James Beard award for the previous uh, iteration of the show called I'll have what Phil's having, which was a PBS show. Um, over the six episodes of the Netflix debut, uh, he and some of his pals sample local delicacies in New Orleans, Mexico city, Saigon, Lisbon, Bangkok, and Tel Aviv. So check that out. Um, uh, that, I'm going to kind of leave that there. That, that's a great way to end that with what they came up with. It was a, a great show that I, I really enjoyed watching and it was a pleasure to have Phil on the show as well. So, um, so I, that's kind of my lead in just, just giving you guys a couple of ideas. You know, I can always bring it back to Euro dreams of sushi. Euro Dreams of Sushi is a beautiful documentary about the greatest sushi chef in the world who actually has a, re- a restaurant in the Tokyo train station. Um, check it out. Uh, it, it's a beautiful kind of look into that world. Um, the, the precision that goes into it, the honor that goes into putting food out. And it kind of gives you a different idea of what chefs go through um, in some of that world. You know, the pride that we put for, we get for putting it in and the knowledge that we have uh, for putting dishes out is really, really really cool. Um, there's another one called spinning plates. 
which is really cool, which talks about three different restaurants throughout the country and their struggles that they have and things that they do. So those are the shows that I uh, suggest you guys watch. I'm going to watch Spinning Plates again this week. I got a flight coming up to Africa. So um, or I'm sorry, I flew to Africa. I don't know if I talk present or past tense. I have no idea anymore. I've done so many shows the last two weeks. Um, but uh, I'm going to watch a couple of these episodes as well as bang out a bunch of menus. Um, when I watch these shows, though, one of the things that I do is I get inspiration. My ideas, my brain just starts kind of getting this crazy creative flow that just flows through. So um, go and check those things out. Check those shows out. But uh, this show is going to be a little bit different. This isn't about food. And this show isn't about uh, a, a crazy character. This show isn't about uh, a, you know somebody who's getting drunk or or going out and doing all that. This show is going to be about PR and social media. Um, I have a, a wonderful friend who lives up in Boston who is a publicist and a social media expert. And look, we all claim to be social media experts, but Kim actually teaches at Suffolk College. I believe it's Suffolk College up there. Um, she's very, very good at what she does. Um, she is a, uh, a a wonderful person and a professional um, in every aspect of the word. Um, I'm really kind of proud, I guess, is the word that I'm looking for to say that I know her um, because I love watching her work and her relationships that she's created. And we just kind of have a really raw conversation about about social media and and ways to gain and the right things to do. And Kim's got a lot of knowledge about it. So so everybody do me a favor. Turn your radios up. Get some headphones on if you have to. Get the kids out of the room because y'all know what happens when we talk to guests. Sometimes cursing happens, especially when you're talking to a badass chick out of Boston. Ladies and gentlemen, do me a favor. Welcome to Duffified Live. Kim Ring from Ring Communications. What's up, Kim? Hi, my friend. How are you? I'm pretty awesome. I'm pretty awesome. What's yep. going on up there in Boston? Oh, we finally got some sun and some warm weather. We've got uh, our Celtics are in the playoffs. The Bruins are in the playoffs. The Red Sox are on fire. The Patriots are making moves. It's it's good to be a Bostonian these days. That's pretty cool. I do remember, however, that we recently won the Super Bowl a couple of months ago. <laughs> and we're playing you now. We got the 76ers in town. Oh, uh, uh, really? Yeah, this week. Yep. I didn't even know the Celtics were still around. Come on now. That's just silly. <laughs> just silly. So, Kim, do me a favor. Why don't you tell us uh, who you are sure. and how we can get in contact with you and what you do? Sure. So, uh, well, in case they don't know my last name, my name is uh, Kim Ring Allen. Allen is my maiden name, I mean, my married name, but everybody always just calls me Kim Ring probably because it flows off the tongue. It's got a good um, ring. It does, right? I know. I am a, a Boston-based publicist. I have a very small boutique PR firm, and we do anything from PR, social media, direct digital marketing for lifestyle clients. And we kind of bucket those out. We deal mostly with hospitality, sports, uh, entertainment, and you know, small little bits of fashion. At night, I'm a professor of social media, mobile media, uh, mobile marketing, and digital marketing at Suffolk University. So I kind of got my hands in everything. And, you know, what I basically do is most of my work is in PR. So that's getting you know, clients in the news. But as the industry has kind of changed a little bit, uh, we also consult clients a lot on, you know, how they can take some of their marketing strategies mobile, how can they can, you know, work in this new social media 
kind of uproar that's happening, influencers and all that. And we just kind of help clients figure out, you know, what their business goals are and what the different tools that they can use, you know, are, are available to them. Um, I started though. So I got into the hospitality industry young. My dad um, retired. He was a cop and he always wanted to own a diner. So when I was like 11 or 12, <laughs> I know, I know. And, he, and it was like a dream of his. I know. Aim high. Um, <laughs> so I, I love I, it though. It's a way to, well, hold on. First off, how do we get in contact with you? That's oh, what I need. I'm going to interrupt you. So, I mean, the best way is on social media, believe it or not. I'm constantly on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram at ring PR girl. Um, Facebook, I kind of leave to friends and family, but we do have like a, a company page that is super active and that's facebook.com slash ring com. Or, you know, people can always email me. It's Kim at ring dash communications.com as if that's not long enough. Yeah, really? I know. I know it's the internet was new. I took what I could get. <laughs> That's like, I almost had my, I almost had mine, Chef Brian Duffy at Duffified Experience Group.com. And I was like, nah, fuck it. I'm going with Gmail. Seriously. I mean, when I first got it, I was like, oh, this is awesome. It's got my company name in it. Now I can't even spell it right myself. Yeah. My con my fat fingers are constantly like fucking it up. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. So, okay. So, so you got into the hospitality industry through dad, who was a cop who wanted to yeah. open a diner. Yeah, I did. And he opened one in our hometown. Um, it was like right on the commuter rail, which is the train that goes into Boston. Um, and I was a bus girl. So on the weekends, he would get me up on Saturdays and Sundays at like 5 a.m. or probably a little bit earlier. And the two of us would go down and he would work in the kitchen with the other with the other chef. And I would bus tables and I was like 11 making, you know, anywhere from 30 to 50 bucks a weekend. Like I didn't need bills. I mean, when I was 11. So I used to take it and shove it under my mattress. And I like quickly became enthralled with the entire hospitality industry. Like it was getting up and working, but you were working and you were talking to people and you were interacting and I loved it. And so I stayed with it. I was a hostess. I was a dishwasher. I was a waitress. I bartended all the way through college and well into when I started my company. I mean, it was hard to get me to give up those wads of Oh my God. Spending yeah. Money that you used to have, you know, that, that, that cash that I loved. And every once in a while I'll think about it and I'll be like, could I go back and do that like one day a week? But I mean, I'm so <laughs> old now, but you know, it really, I, I love the industry. So to be able to do it now on a, like a different side of it is awesome because I know how it works. So I'm, I feel like I have a good insight and until these, you know, these, restaurants or chefs, you know, Hey, listen, I've been on your side. I know how the customer thinks. I know how the employees think, you know, let's get into it. So it's good. I love it. So how did you, I mean, was your father, was your father, this was retired after he retired or yeah, he was he retired. still fully active in the, on the force? No, he took an early retirement and, um, you know, he was never a, a, like, he never took culinary classes or anything like that, but he always like, you know, he was in the army and in the wars, just like everybody else. So, you know, he loved kind of working that griddle, you know what right. I mean? Like making those eggs and doing all that. And so he and a partner just, when he took his early retirement, they invested in it, started as kind of just a breakfast place. And then, you know, over a couple of years, they added a beer and wine license and they did, you know, dinners and, you know, they always closed at like nine o'clock. It wasn't like this, you know, bar or anything like that, but, you know, he loved it. And it was something that he always wanted to do and he did it. And so, 
know, that would gave me a taste of it. And, you know, I couldn't get, I couldn't shake it ever since. So did he, did he end up selling it or? He did. Yeah. He, he gave, he sold his part to his partner and then he went on to do, I mean, my dad was a real interesting character. I know yours was too. Um, he taught himself how to do like a bunch of things. Like he went mm-hmm. back to college at 50, dropped out of high school, went back, got his wow. GED, went to college at 50, taught himself computers, like when computer, you know, in the nineties and 2000, sure. like building them and, you know, installing software. So when he left the restaurant, he went on to work for um, my mom's company, not her, not her own, but where she worked. And also for um, the attorney general and working in their kind of IT departments until he fully retired. Like I think he finally retired probably, you know, 15 years ago or something like that. Right. Yeah. But then, yeah, I know he, he hung up his apron and that was the end of that. That was it. He was done with it. So, so, and, and so he sold the restaurant where you still working at that point and then you had to go on and, and do something else. I mean, or, or were no. you like, shit, where's my job, dad? Yeah, no, at that point, you know, like when I got into high school, um, in, I think probably like in between the years of like 15 to graduation, I, um, worked at a dentist office as a receptionist because I was in that weird age where I didn't want to be bussing tables anymore, but I wasn't old enough. Sure you know, to wait tables either. Cause you had to be a certain age. So I did that until college. And then in college I worked at it. I got a job at TGI Fridays as a hostess. And I'll tell you, people make fun of like, you know, we used to tease myself about working at Fridays with all the buttons and stuff, but you know, I got the best, you know, hospitality education there. Yeah. Seriously. Absolutely. Culture and yep. standards yep. and operational procedures and the whole nine yards. I mean, Fridays, especially back at that point yeah. was, I mean, it was the epitome of it. Like Fridays would have lines out the front door waiting yeah. to get in there so they could have their fucking Jack Daniels barbecue sauce, you know? Dude. But I mean, it was the epitome of it. Yeah. With yes. every table. What was the rule on their table claws? They all faced the front door, right? Yeah. The, the, lines. The, the lines had to face the front doors. Bar stools too. Bar stools face the front doors. We used to make the balloon arch every, you know, beginning of every shift. It was crazy. You know, it's so funny that you said the Jack Daniels uh, thing. And, you know, my dad passed, so he's not going to get in trouble. But when I uh, moved to Tallahassee, I actually worked at the Fridays there. But my friends still worked at the one here outside of Boston. And my, they, my dad was so in love with the Jack Daniels glaze. And my best friend, Carlin used to go and take the bags, like the big, huge bags of Jack Daniels right. and like while I was at college and stick it in my mom's purse and they would smuggle it home. <laughs> <laughs> and I miss oh, it because the sure. Jack Daniels glaze was no joke. Like was that good. shit was heat. It was yeah. so good. It was good. It was a big, and it was a huge boost for Fridays at that point too, because they had a big decline in sales for a period. And then they started to do this whole campaign with, they adjusted their menus and everything else. And then they, what did they come out with two years ago? They came out with the, uh, the unlimited happy hour menu. Yeah. Yep. Which is crazy. It is, but you know, and their whole kind of like aesthetics change, you know, they got rid of like, you know, the whole big thing was, you know, no, we don't have awesome food, but we do have this canoe over, you know, our kitchen. Right, right. That Look was at like, yeah, exactly. Look at that old typewriter. That's so cool. <laughs> it goes really well with my potato skins, but like they lost all that. 
right? They got rid of the, you know, red striped shirts with all the flair, which I loved. Like, I don't know why people didn't like it. I okay. loved my flair. I got a kick out of it. Like I added the whole thing down. I had the same flair for like the whole um, 10 years of my career at Friday. And they wow. bet, went, you know, went to kind of more mainstream, you know, to fit in because like the gimmicky stuff they thought really wasn't working anymore. But the reality is, is the gimmicky stuff is still here. It's just a little different. Yeah. I mean, it was a big deal. I mean, I, you know, the culture of it and I mean, I mean, I talk about Fridays all the time, especially during the heyday of that eighties and nineties period when they had really come out and had been really strong. And then they kind of got into this world of a little bit of a gastro pubby, yeah. uh, which just didn't fit. It wasn't the world. So, um, but I mean, they're, they're a huge part just with the branding. I mean, you think about everything that they had from, you know, the, the potato skin, potato chips that they were putting out with their yeah. profile on them. And I mean, just brilliant in the marketing. And then they had a revamp and they had a relaunch and um, I don't know what their sales are now, but they're still a massive, massive player in the game. Yeah. They're all different. So that's the funny thing. Like we always say here in Boston, like, I don't even know which ones are still around. But when we go, we just got back from Port St. Lucie, Florida, where my mother lives. And the Fridays down there is excellent. You know, it's always busy. It's always packed. You know, they, I don't know if they still do their bartending competitions, but remember they used to do those sure. awesome, like, but, you know, you do them locally. So you do them like in, within each state and then they'd send those people to a big one. And it was always like a great time. Yeah. Well, that was, that was Tom Cruise. Tom, remember he worked at yeah. Fridays during that one period before he went over to Coughlin's Law. Yeah, that's right. Um, and to do that, because I mean, and that was a big play. You know, he had the red and white shirt on. He had the, uh, you know, the suspenders on and the whole nine yards. But I still have uh, one of my clients down in, in Fort Myers that was involved in that competition. And he did a lot of stuff with those guys. And that's what he said. They were just awesome. They were blast. I mean, you'd yeah. get shit faced because, you know, you'd be drinking and cheering. You know, everybody would bring all the people from their store. Right. right. So you'd have like you and your 15 friends and you'd go out and you'd pregame and you'd get hammered and you'd show up and you'd go, you know, when they'd be up, you'd be screaming your face off. And then some of them used to like auction the drinks off and like the money that they would make from it would go to a charity. So it was always just this like really good, feel good, industry heavy kind of like bartenders love bartenders, waiters like we all, you know, we're ancestral. We love other people that work in restaurants. It was just like a big, cool party. And I could flip a little. So I thought I was cool. Not anywhere near where these guys could, but like that was right. a big part of your training, how the to flip flare. bottles and how to do flair. Yeah. I mean, I could still do a little bit if I tried, I'd probably want to do the plastic bottles because I know, I know I'd smash them, but you know, every once in a while I'll be like, we'll start playing with stuff. It's crazy. Is there, are there any more flair? Is there any more flair bar? Are there flare flare bartenders still out there doing? I think in Vegas. Stuff? Really? In Vegas. I, but then again, I don't know. I mean, yeah. there has to be. There has to be. Because you get so bored back there. I mean, that's probably how the whole thing started, right? You're in your downtime. You're sitting exactly. there. You can only do so many dishes, you know? And so I bet people just started flipping things. Yeah. Putting them in the bottles and just rocking. Yep. And I'm sure the first manager was like, whoa, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, probably but then fired they that guy. Plastic bottles for you to train with. Yeah. So, I mean, it, they made adjustments because they realized it was a huge moneymaker. I know we, when I did, when I did bar rescue, we had a couple different flair bartenders that came on and did a couple different things. But I, I think the flair bartender has, I don't think, I know that the flair bartender has really been replaced with the, the mixologist. Yeah. The guy who slaps the mint. Right. Slap the mint, baby. Get the, yeah. you got to twist the mustache first. You got to flip the, uh, uh, you got to flip the suspenders and you got to smack the mint. 
Yeah, you got to wipe it on your leather apron because that's conducive for making cocktails. <laughs> with, your, with your stainless or with your sterling silver mixing spoon. Yeah. And you need to have 15 types of bitters, uh, like flavored bitters. Yeah, yeah, I know. I drink white wine. I mean, I drink red wine, dirty, dirty, dirty martinis and yeah. beer. So I'm not that person. But I mean, I've seen there's definitely I mean, and it's not even just the mixology part. Now it has to be Instagrammable. It has to be totally. inherently social and look good, look good in a picture. Well, I mean, and I guess that kind of moves us into into the next world of it within within well a little bit. I mean, with the social media aspect of what you do, and and I, I want to touch on the PR portion of it I, a little bit later. We're kind of moving in this direction now. Okay. So, what you know how how are you working with your clients on the social media part of it? I mean, other than standing in the restaurant taking pictures, yeah. how are you? What is your, what are, do this. Why don't you tell us a couple of things that we, first off, that people are doing wrong. Right. Yeah. So, you know, here's what I always, you know, do with clients is I sit down and go, okay, realistically, you know, what are you looking for your social media to do? Because a lot of the biggest mistakes people make, especially restaurant owners or whatever is, well, if I have a good social media presence, it automatically means I'm going to have butts and seats. Right. And that's not always the case. You know, social media sometimes is good just for brand awareness. And, you know, it's just like a drip on the brain. It has to work with all the other parts of your marketing, the PR, the digital marketing, like your websites, your review sites, your, you know, direct marketing, like your events and your in-store promotional stuff. All of those have to work together. One can't be responsible for bringing in those guests at the end of the day. So I always make sure I open with that. You know, what are you looking for it to do? And then I kind of just teach them how to audit what they have and create three month plans, right? So I always have a restaurant. If they come to me and they ask me like, what can we do for our social media? I have them sit down and I go, okay, well, Let's figure out first, um, you know, what is your social media at now? You know, what is your follower count? How many likes does your, you know, post typically get? How often are you posting? Are you using any tools? I kind of get like a bird's eye view of what they're doing. And then we sit down and we, you know, we break it out. We go, okay, who's your target audience, right? So if you're a Boston, you know, restaurant, the first thing that most people say is, well, everybody that eats out, but that's too too wide, right? So you have to say, okay, are you in the seaport? Okay, great. So your audience is people who work in the seaport, people who live in the seaport, and people who would come to the seaport as a dining destination. Those three are very different, you know? And I have them look at how they make decisions. So, you know, maybe the people that live in the seaport are 35 to 60, which means they're not relying as heavily on social media as if it's a younger neighborhood of like, 24 to 35. Right. So that's important. You know what I mean? Because social, you you can't assume the same social media strategy is going to work for every audience, you know? And that's part of what I do is I figure out like, okay, well, who realistically are you trying to get to come in here? Because they might be hanging out on, on different social media platforms than the other. So what are you, and, and so is it, what is more important, Twitter, Instagram? And, and I know, I mean, I, I, they're all important. Yeah. What do you find is, is, is the most beneficial for a restaurant? Is it, I mean, is it Twitter? Is it Instagram? Is it Snapchat? Is it Facebook? Is it Tinder and Bumble? I mean, what is, what is the most beneficial for the restaurants? 
Well, I think that's where it comes down to knowing which one your audience is on. So for example, you know, the younger demographic and I'm going Gen Z millennial, they rely heavily, heavily, heavily on Instagram. Meaning like they, you know, the girls that work for me, if they're going to Nashville, let's say, oh, I'm going to Nashville this weekend. Their first reaction is to look at like any Nashville food accounts and that's where they pick where to eat. Then if you get into my demographic, which is like, you know, Gen X, Gen Y, maybe, maybe the boomers, but I mean, even then we're kind of heavily on Facebook because that's where we, that's where all the people are, our biggest communities on there. Yeah. So we use it, we get recommendations and what people don't realize is that older demographic, we go to Facebook first and ask for recommendation, whether it's from our best friend or just from, you know, our friends from high school that we haven't seen in 15 years. That's where we go. The press goes to Twitter. So like, it's important. And that's why I say there's always got to be an overlap. Like your PR has to overlap with your social media. Every single journalist, whether they write food, fashion, sports, or business takes to Twitter. They do it to push their own stuff. They do it to engage in online conversations with other writers. So that's important to keep your brand in front of the media at all times. So they remember when they get a pitch, for example, from me, they remember, oh yeah, I just saw, you know, Tico on, on Twitter talking about this or, you know, so again, you know, not Snapchat is real young. Um, And, you know, unless you have the big, big dollars to advertise on it, it's a, it's a tough one to measure. You know, it really is. But like, you know, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, they're all important. You just got to know who's on it and how they use it. All right, boys and girls, eh, let's focus directly on the boys right now. We got a little bit of a problem. Do you guys realize that 66% of men lose their hair by the age of 35? Huh? Do you guys realize that when you start hitting a certain age, 35, 36, 37, sometimes hitting into the 40 world, we start to get hair loss where our skin starts to get a little funky and every now and then things start happening down below. You guys know what I'm talking about. All right, we're getting older, boys. So now we got to take care of this, all right? Did you guys know that guys turn to weird solutions or they do absolutely nothing when it comes to medicine and science when, in regards to your hair? So what I want you guys to do is I've got a great solution for you, okay? It's 4 It's a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness, the whole nine yards. Thanks to science, baldness can be optional. Hims connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions that are going to treat your hair loss. Well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions that are going to help you keep your hair. There's no snake oil pills or gas station counter stuff. Prescriptions that are solutions or prescriptions and solutions that are backed by science. There's no waiting room. There's no awkward doctor visits or any of that sort of stuff. You guys do have to do this. It's just simple. Go to the website because my listeners are going to get a trial month of hymns for just five bucks right now while all these supplies last. You have to go to the website though. And that is for hymns.com slash chef. It's very simple, boys and girls. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash chef. It's for hymns.com slash chef. Get your first month, the trial month of hymns for just five bucks. So how important is, is a website anymore? Well, it is right. So, you know, the, but they're, they're hubs of information more than anything else. Right. So a lot of times people will automatically, let's say you step out of your, and this is where the mobile part comes in. And I teach this at night and it's, it's something that a lot of restaurants are embracing. If I step out of, you know, I go to New York city, I step out of my hotel 
the first thing I do is Google, you know, let's say best Italian restaurant. And it'll pull up, you know, A, a listing, like a Google listing, and B, the the websites. So, I mean, am I going there to do much? No, I'm not going there to get the address and view the menu. But you got to have it because there's always somebody looking for it. Right. And it's you also know? working with, I mean, how... How important is the website when it comes into SEO with the search engine? Well, that's engine? just it. It is. And, the, and it's hard too. Like, exa- for example, I mean, you can't just put in best restaurant and that means automatically the best restaurant right. is going to come up, you know, and it's hard because some restaurants, you know, SEO is like an end game. They don't really know how to do it, but you know, there's all these things you got to do to be found because the people are looking. So it's content, it's, you know, sharing links, it's listing links, it's little things that, that are, that a restaurant in particular, because there's no action really to be taken on it. Usually if they go to make a reservation, it clicks into open table anyways. But, you know, if you list every press mention you get and link it to the outlet, you know, that'll bump you up a couple of notches, you know, they're just small things you can do, but again, it's, it's, it's a necessity. It's, it's basically part of your corporate branding at this point. It's not as much a marketing tool as much as it's part of your brand. So, I mean, years ago when I had first kind of gotten onto Facebook and started to do it more on a professional level, I had a website, I had, I had had a, I had 5,000 followers. I remember hitting my 5,000 follower mark and being like, Holy shit, this is awesome. (laughs) And and then, and then I left that company and, and I had the name, this was before you could change your name or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and I had that name and I had to stop and I had to start over again. Yeah. So, you know, the first thing I did was put my name up. I started a new page. I went and had fun with it. And then I, and then I watched the failure of my Facebook. Basically, you know, I was going now I've, now I've got 50 followers cause I sent it out to my family and friends. Right. Now I've got, you know, and then, and then three days later I've got 52 and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Why am I not building this back up again? Yeah. And, and I realized that it was, I mean, the engagement aspect is massive. Yeah, well, it, because it's Absolutely. the only way to break that algorithm change, right? Yeah. Facebook, one day we all realized that our businesses for marketing needed to have a Facebook brand page. So what ended up happening is we were all psyched about it. We all created them. We were posting and, you know, so many businesses were running like basically ads. And so based the, the people on Facebook were like, hey, listen, we don't want to see this much brand stuff anymore. So, you know, Zuckerberg was like, all right well, let's make an algorithm so that it's harder for business pages to show up in people's timelines. So now, like you said, it's that engagement, right? You got to think of it like, um, you know, in boot camp, you know, if you go to military, well, I wasn't in military boot camp, but they have like that wall that you have to get over, right? right? And people help you get over that wall. It's very similar. If you're a brand page or a business page and you post something, you need those people interacting with it and sharing with it in order to get over that wall and show up in other people's timelines. And there are tricks to do it. You know, it's just, it takes time. You have to really think about is, you know, what kind of content is shareable? What are people, I mean, look at the tasty videos. 
you know, all it took was one person to see it and then they shared it, you know, Oh, look at this recipe for, you know, freaking cauliflower fucking ice cream. And right. people were like, I love cauliflower ice cream underneath. And then they tagged their friend like, Hey, Jesse, like, aren't you on a fucking ice cream diet? Like you would like this. <laughs> and the more that happens, Facebook goes, okay, all of these like-minded individuals are interested in this post. So it must be good. Let's get it up a little higher. So now when it comes to boosting, I mean, I know, I know I, I was, I was the spokesperson for, uh, for some stuff a couple of years ago. And, uh, part of the contract that I had with them was that they were able to boost the post that I had, you know, whatever, whatever they, they were posting for me. Let's just put it that way. Gotcha. They yep. were posting for me. They were boosting stuff. They were paying for that visibility with it. And then I noticed that when I was done with them, or let's say a week after the event, if we had a two week interlude going into the next one, I was posting stuff. And now my viewership or my likes are going down dramatically. What I would normally have four or 5,000 likes on now I'm getting like 1500, 1200. And I started to see that my, my reach just wasn't going as much. And I realized that a lot of it had to do with, and, and this is just my thought. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but why is Facebook going to push my stuff out there, stuff out there if I've already paid for it and chances are I'm going to pay for it again. I mean, oh, yeah, it, it's sneaky like that. Totally. I mean, it yeah. fucked me up. It pissed me off to the point that nobody posts and I don't boost shit anymore. Yeah. Because one, I don't want to spend the money on something like that. I understand it's our marketing and advertising, but that's the, that's the world that I live in with stuff that I do, but yeah. it, it, it screwed up with my, my followers being able to see what I was posting. Yeah. So what I, you know, I'm the same way. The only time I boost something is if it is, uh, you know, measurable to me. So like if I have an event, so let's say I'm like holding a fundraiser at one of my bars. I'll boost it for that because at the end of the day, I can say, you know, if I spent $100 on the boost and I sold three tickets at $50 each, the return on investment was 50 bucks. You know what I mean? But I wouldn't do it just for visibility because again, you need the goal is you want it to be organic. You know what I mean? Like you want you want your numbers to not have to do with cuz again, when they boost it, and they say, oh, you get viewership and they give you all these numbers like you don't know how many of those, you know, it could be some person in like, you know, Dubai. Iceland. Yeah. Do you know what right. I mean? So like they're never going to come to your restaurant. I mean, they may. They're never going to come to your restaurant, you know, at all. Like what they should have done was boosted their Facebook to your followers and include you in it because you're an influencer because right. of your time on bar rescue, because of all of the hospitality work that you've done, it's then it wouldn't have fucked with your numbers. It would have actually benefited them because it would have boosted their numbers up and right. yours would have stayed the same. Yeah. Trust me. It pissed me off. I, I know was, the Facebook game is crazy. It's was, crazy. It drove me, it drove me nuts. So, um, so when it comes to some of the stuff that I always talk about is when it comes to social media is the fact that we basically, it's like having a billboard on 95, Yeah, you know, only 95 is now an, an international highway. Right. Um, and you know, so when you're posting stuff to make it, sh make sure that, you know, I mean, would you put a shitty picture of a burger on a billboard on 95? Exactly. And it kind of amazes me the pictures that people post and things that they put up just to say, well, I posted my Facebook. When I had my restaurant, my rule was very simple. I wanted, I wanted three posts per shift. 
I wanted a hospitality post or what I called a culture post, a picture of one of my staff members doing something or even introducing, hey, here's Katie Harris. She's a rock star. She come, come in and see her today. Katie's a mom. She's got a son, blah, blah, blah. She loves to go bowling and she loves pina coladas at midnight. Who cares what it is? But I'm introducing you to somebody within that. The next post, I always had to have some form of food and then I wanted some form of booze, whether it be a beer, a cocktail, something paired together with that. And we always did them at a lunch shift and then a dinner shift. So we had six posts that were going out on a daily basis. But when I worked with that with clients, I started to find that it became a little bit cumbersome for them because they couldn't come up with great content every day. And then I started to notice that they were putting horrible fucking pictures up. I mean, bad pictures like, you know, a burger that's completely covered by a bun with a beer next to it that's flat against a gray wall. And you're like, oh, well, that's awesome. You just put a monochromatic picture up that's not going to get anything out of it. So so how are you handling? I mean, how are you coaching your your people to to do better in that world? Yeah. So a lot of times my clients creativity. No, you can't. You can't. But you can. But you can use other people's if you if you credit them appropriately. So if you can't come up with the content yourself, odds are people in your restaurant. We call it user generated content. Odds are there's plenty of user generated content out there. In fact, there's probably too much that you can't use. And what you had, what you had been doing, is exactly what I teach people. They say they don't have the time, and I get that to an extent. But you do have the time because there's plenty of scheduling tools now. There's plenty. And what, what you do is you create basically this topic matrix. Like you said, you know, you know that you're going to post one post about, um, food because you're a restaurant you're going to post one post about an employee because that's old school hospitality right there. I mean, people forget, I, you know, that's why we have regulars is everybody like comes in to see just you. So you kind of follow that matrix. Like if you have that and you sit down for two hours a week You know, you could actually put together a pretty decent content plan for the week and have everything scheduled scheduled out. So then you have the rest of the time to do what's important, which is the engagement. You know, you as a brand page, it's not just what you're posting. It's are you, you know, interacting with the food bloggers? Are you interacting with the food meter on Facebook? Are you interacting with other customers? You know, are you responding to every customer when they tag you, check in? Uh, mention you anything like that. That's just as as important as the, as the posting. So I always tell people to follow that kind of content matrix, figure out what your posts are going to be about, take stock of what you have, like, what do you have for photos, whatever, and see what's out there for user generated content. Somebody comes into your place, takes a great picture of a burger. There's no reason you can't use it. You give them credit. Hey, you know, try our mushroom burger. Thanks for the shot. You know, Boston food party, you know, and that's it. It's just constant connecting. And that's what it's all about, you know, but we always do a lot of my clients will have me teach like social media one-on-one seminars where we literally go through and go, this is what a good post on Facebook looks like. This is what a bad one looks like. You know, here are some tools on Facebook. You probably didn't realize you could be using. Here's how you can use Twitter. And we kind of do that. We spend like a three hour, four hour, half day and, For the bigger restaurant groups, you know, they'll have all of their managers, general managers, you know, whoever's working the social come and it kind of, it empowers them a little bit more. Because a lot of times, you know, in a restaurant scenario in particular, we're tasking people that are on the floor to do these things. And it's not their first, it's not their first skill. So they're filling in a need. 
Um, so, you know, just like everybody else, they need training. Yeah. How do you, you know, we do a lot of times we'll do how to take a good food photo and things like that. And they're willing to learn. They want to do better. You know, they don't want to put up a shitty picture. They just don't know what else to do. They don't know a different way. Yeah. Yeah. So how, you know, I mean, I find that, look, Twitter's an easy, an easy follow. You can get followers on Twitter pretty easy. And I, yeah. I, I, I have a lot. First off, Twitter is probably my favorite kind of medium for communication because, yep. because of the interactions that I have with people. And that's what it's all about. That's where a lot, that's why a lot of people jumped off Twitter because they were like, I don't get it. It's yeah. all about conversations. Yep. Exactly. Whereas, yep. and I always say, look, you know, Facebook is where I bitch about uh, the traffic on 76. And I also talk about the fact that politics and stop beating dogs. Yeah. But whereas Instagram is, Hey, look at me, look at what I'm doing. Yep. And Twitter is why am I looking at what you're doing? You got it, man. Twitter. Exactly. Twitter is let's chat about it. Let me find other people that are chatting about it. I love Twitter. Yeah. That's uh, how we met, isn't it? I yes, think, it is. Yeah. That's I what it's like is. in the early, early, early days of Twitter. Well, I remember shooting a show in Pawtucket. No, I'm sorry. I remember shooting a show in up in Connecticut. Was it? I forget. You had a couple I, of them. Cause I was up in mystic and I remember I, I was on the phone with you and you were going to try to come over. Yeah. It's like two hours away, but I remember was it biker it was bar. It was that biker bar. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And I remember you, that was so, I totally remember that. I remember calling you on the phone. We were on the phone. I was in a car leaving the airport on the way to the shoot. I totally remember that too. Yeah. yeah. But that's what we met. We were like, and I think it was because I would, you know, which is how I built a lot of my Twitter following is I was watching Bar Rescue yeah. and tweeting about it. And you, like a really good marketer that you are, were interacting with people tweeting about it. Like, which is, that's how it's done. It's not much to Twitter. If you overkill it, you're not doing it right. Right. You know, if you overthink it, what do I post? When do I post? Then it's not. You you can jump on once a week and, and jump in on conversations and be fine. Well, I'm finding a lot more. And, and one of the things that kind of is getting on my nerves a little bit with Twitter, maybe it's just the, the follow the people that I follow or whatever it is. But there's just a shit ton of whores on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, yes, like sir. dirty, dirty whores. Like, I, I, I'm shocked. I'm completely shocked. And you know, the other thing that I find a lot of dominatrix. I feel like there are so many porn, like, and they're probably not really those people. I mean, they're definitely not, but like, I feel like I will get so excited because I'll get like, you know, 15 followers overnight and, you know, eight of them are porn people. And I'm like, mm, they really porn people. Or is that some dude, you know, like paid to create all these Twitter accounts and right. I don't know how they stay up that long. And I'll tell you what I've had, you know, I mean, with the, the, the fake and the purchasing of followers, I, we yeah. do, whenever we do a, uh, a podcast, we basically kind of do a little bit of research of people. We find out who they are and, and that sort of stuff. And we find out about their followers because obviously, you know, to be on the show and, and, and I'll tell you what, and I'm, I'm kind of dancing all over here, but I've stopped kind of chasing, not chasing, but getting really like, like celebrities. Like there was a period of time where I wanted to get people who had a massive following because I was trying to build the show. But sure. what I found was one, they're a pain in the fucking ass to try to get for 45 minutes on a show, even a half hour. 
you know, because yeah. I've got to deal through publicists and then I've got to go through an assistant. I've got to go through a manager. And it was a huge pain in the ass. I mean, some of these chefs that are out there right now are pure full blown dickheads when it comes to social media or trying to get them onto a podcast or something like that. When we're all really just trying to do the same thing, promote our businesses, yeah. promote each other. And, and so for me with, with, with my assistant, one of the things that we did was we tried to simplify this process as much as possible. Here's a link, click on it, go tell me when you can do it and we'll make it happen. Like, it's awesome. I really, really like that system that you did. It's cool. It's very I, smart. And it's just because I got so sick and tired of trying to deal with other people to get people on. You know, There's a great chef who's out there right now. He's a wonderful person, but his publicist and his manager held me up for six to eight months. That's to the point that I will never have him on the show. There's another massive chef who's out there whose who's publicist had to be on the phone call while he was on the show. And it created such a horrible connection. We couldn't get him on the phone that I was like, fuck it. I'm done. I'm not even going to put you on the show. It's yeah. just not worth it to me to have to go through that, that, that rigmarole of getting you on just because I want to talk to you. Yeah, you know, which, I mean, this is such a casual show and it's like, you'd think that they would all, you have the benefit of a verified account on Twitter. Yeah. And that's cool because what happens is, is people with verified accounts, your mentions like from other verified accounts have their own stream. So you could literally just filter out and be like, I only want to see what verified accounts are talking to about. So, right. I mean, there is a tool there and you would be surprised. Like I would think more people would jump at the chance to be, cause you have such a great following, like to jump at the chance to be on this show, especially podcasts are the new wave. I mean, they're the new media, like they're downloadable at any time. It's content on demand. But I, I, I think a lot of people don't understand it. And maybe that's where they come from. They come from the fear that they don't know what it's going to be because they don't know anything about podcasting. So, but I can tell you, I very rarely sit in on my clients' calls because I have zero desire to do that. Right. <laughs> well, and it's just, you know, I mean, what are you going to do if you, if the guy says something wrong, you're going to interrupt and say, no, you can't say that. Or you should no fuck that. Like, especially with this show, you know I mean? Jerry's in the background right now. I don't even know if Jerry's listening, right. but but I, I know that he's there. And if there's something that we had to edit, we would edit. But it, we, don't, we, we don't edit stuff. And I right. tell you guys that right off the bat, like right up front, I say, we don't edit this. If you say something that you don't want us to say, just let us know. You know, and we play around with it a little bit, but but it's really just a straightforward show that we do. But but what I was what I was saying that I totally went on a rampage on another world but is that we started to kind of check the follow the people that we were we were looking into by checking whether or not they had real followers. And I'll never forget when Jason, one of the owners of Radio Influence, came back and I we had somebody who had whatever one hundred and forty thousand followers, whatever it was. And in reality, the real amount of followers that she had was like 400. Wow. And you, you know, know it's, that's how people are going out and getting free shit. They're like, Oh, I have 400. And I'll tell you, knowing, knowing how to measure like follower size to engagement is important. Like if she, if, let's say they only had 400 followers, but they had, you know, 200 interactions. That means half their audience is listening. So why do you got to bump up your number? Cause then it makes it look like only 1% of your audience is, is interacting exactly. with you. Yeah. 
But so many people just go for that follow, though. They just want that number. They just want to be able to say that they have that. And they're not even really interacting within on the right ways. I mean, I spend a large portion, probably three hours easily a day, three to four hours just on my social media stuff. That's good. Um, to communicate, to have my conversations, to make sure that if people are sending me stuff, and even when you send me a message on on Facebook, uh, there's a message that says, hey, thank you so much for your message. I typically take a few hours a week to reply to people. I will get back to you. Like I want people to know that I am listening, that I am talking, that I am communicating. I've got an asshole right now who's blowing me up on, on my Facebook messenger, which is a lot of fun because they love talking shit to me. It's great. You know. Facebook Messenger, if you don't like there's the minute I feel like sometimes I get on Facebook, my messenger will pop up with somebody who, you know, can I get 10 minutes of your time? Can I pick your brain? Like Facebook Messenger is great and horrible all at once. Yeah. For real. I don't even get involved in. I mean, if I see that I have a message, I might check it. I I typically when I when I get onto a plane, that's when I'll look at my messenger and I'll of course after I take a picture of my feet, I will well, Yeah, I mean duh. Uh, I, I was just talking to a buddy of mine prior to talking to you and I was telling him how somebody I did an appearance a couple of weeks ago and this woman walks over to me and she grabs her phone and she goes to take a selfie and she turns the phone all the way down and her post was something to the effect of finally got a shot with Chef Brian Duffy's shoes. Oh, that's awesome. Which but is that's pretty funny. Thing. That's part I, of your brand at this point. Yeah, which is funny. Because it's, I mean, it was just shoes, you know, I mean, it wasn't, I just did it because I had an ex-girlfriend who we used to take pictures wherever we went of our feet and say, hey, we're in New York, we're in Vegas, we're yeah. wherever we are. And I just kind of carried it over and, and yeah, it's gotten to be kind of funny. I mean, even my relationship with American Air, I mean, I, I have conversations with them, you know, they've That's sent, me, you know, thousands of points or miles to add into my account because I communicate with them. I take a picture of my feet every single time that I take off and say thank you to American Air. Because guess what? Everybody's just miserable half the time when they fly anyway. I mean, Isn't they're just crazy. I like, I'm usually psyched. Like, I'm usually don't, like, yeah, I don't care where I'm going. Like, let's get, let's get some free TV and a small little nip or something. And let's, let's fucking fly. Let's do it. The fact, think about the fact that you're in a tin can with thousands upon thousands of, of flammable jet fuel underneath of you that is taking you to another destination. Like, let's pay attention to the basics of the fact that we're flying and stop bitching and complaining because you can't fit your suitcase, your suitcase up top. Oh my God. We had nope. a, yeah, totally. But see, now here's the thing. That's a, that was a really good example, right? You were just doing something that was part of your brand. You weren't doing it for any, you know, any points or anything, but it's so valuable, right? The user generated content that you provide. And because you have so much influence, it's so valuable to American airlines, the return on investment for them sliding you those points is huge. It's what's the points to them, right? Nothing. Doesn't mean but, anything to them. Sure. Right. And especially with as much as I fly, it, it's not that big of a deal to them. No, but the but the content that you put out, right? The user generated content that you put out, the fact that you engage in conversations, all of that is very, very valuable. Very valuable to that brand. So how how is it look, I mean, and there's different ways to get different followers on different areas. So how sure. is it that we, you know, I, I love Facebook. I really do. I still enjoy Facebook. I do too, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm, the best part about Facebook to me is the unfollow. I'm still friends with you, 
But I'm yes. just not seeing anything you're posting because I'm sick and tired of you talking about Trump or Hillary or a dog or or whatever it is. Yes. So I'll tell you a funny story. So one of the you know one of the blog posts we did got a ton of traction. Is I taught people how to not lose their minds on social media in the years following the election. And it took me two hours to do, but I literally unfollowed everybody on Facebook that talked about politics, not one side or the other, just in general, talked about politics and fucking all I have left. And it's awesome. Are tasty videos and cute dogs. That's it. (laughs) Everybody else is silent. I don't know what you're saying, but it, it was awesome. And I, you can do the same thing on Twitter, actually. So I even like muted conversations that include that said Trump and it hasn't worked great because now I keep following new journalists and things like that. But, you know, you can do all of those things on all of those accounts so that you don't, you know, so that you keep your sanity and you clean out your, you know, clean out your conversation. Hey, guess what, everybody? It's time to start moving forward a little bit. It's time for us to be more aggressive in the way that we go after things. Do you guys remember when the wheel was made? Yeah, probably not. But guess what? We're talking about the Stone Age. We're going back that far. A week after that wheel was made, they started insurance companies. Okay. That's about how archaic this process is. So how do you guys go and get insurance? Do you make the phone call? Do you want to a website? Do you call your father's buddy who hooked him up 25 years ago when you got your license the first time? No, here's exactly what you guys are going to do. You're going to get an app. It's called Cover, C-O-V-E-R. It is an app that is designed to make insurance that much less of a hassle. You can request a quote just by taking a picture on your phone. We do it every day. The app then searches for policies from over 30 providers to get you the best rate for your car, your home, and pretty much anything else. I'm talking about renter's insurance. I'm talking about motorcycle insurance, car insurance. That's the stuff I'm talking about. Insurance on the go because you can request a quote via the app on the phone at any time. The app does all of the comparing for you. It looks for policies that meet your needs from over 30 insurance carriers, okay? They're going to find the best deal that suits you. The app finds the right coverage level. I still don't know what coverage level I have to get, but you know what? They matched my policy and got me a better price. It helps you get the level of insurance that best suits your needs. Super, super fast because signing up is easy and you can get the initial quote in two minutes. Two minutes. After that two minutes, Cover's going to text you with an initial quote. Insurance in a snap. You can get it just by taking a photo of whatever it is that you want to insure. All right, so here's the deal. Here's what you guys have to do. You are going to save time and money with Cover. It is cover.com forward slash Duffy is what's going to get you started. Let's do it again. C-O-V-E-R dot com slash D-U-F-F-Y. Go and get covered now. So how can... Like, how can you build an Instagram page? How can you get it? Because I, I believe that Instagram is one of the hardest follows. It is. Um, and it's a little, so, and there's too many tricks, right? Yeah, of course. You, you know, Instagram lets you put like 35 hashtags. Like, of course, if you put hashtags like food porn, Friday, like if you use the generic hashtags, What's happening is there's so many third-party softwares out there that a lot of these people are like signing up for because they're, you know, quote unquote, too busy. So they say like any post that has this hashtag or follow any account that says that they do this. So it's a little, it's not, it's not authentic. So, you know what I mean? Like there's too many tricks to build. I don't believe in that. See, I like to keep Instagram 
Really? You know, yeah, and there are Same ways way. to build followings. I mean, I only include hashtags of topics that that involve the picture. And I think about where is the audience that I'm trying to to capture. So if it's like a bot, you know, one of my restaurants, I'll hashtag Boston restaurants or Boston foodies. And I keep it to really, really targeted stuff. And you will get followers there. You're not going to get hundreds at a time, but but you will build it. You will build an authentic following. You know, you just got to keep at it, be patient and not have these crazy expectations. I mean, if you want to build your following overnight, yeah, there's all these sneaky tricks that you can do and you can get your numbers up. But again, you know, when these influencers come to me and say, hey, you want to work together? I charge this a post. I look at their, you know, how many people are following them. And I look at, you know, a post from a couple months ago to see how many likes it got and see how many conversations it had. Because if your number's huge, but that that information's not there, then it's not worth it. There has to be those likes, even likes, likes are basically just air. I want to see the conversations under the post, right? The, the, where you're tagging a friend. Oh my God. Hey, Hey, Melissa, we haven't been here in a long time. Oh yeah. I missed that place. That's what I want to see. That's that to me is how you build an authentic following and Facebook. It can be done too. It really can. You just got to think about, is it shareable content? I mean, I find that with Facebook that it's more about the engagement than it is anything else. I mean, the more the more I talk to people, which I really do try to, I try to reply to almost all of the posts that people put through or the comments that happen down below. I, I do. I mean, it's important to me because I find that Facebook is much more personal. In totally. That, totally. Whereas Instagram, like I said, is more about bragging and, and whatnot. Do you, do you suggest to in replying to people's comments on, on Instagram, does that assist with the following? Absolutely. So those two have the same back end, right? You got to remember Instagram and Facebook are built by the same person, right? So those conversations are what tells, what tells Facebook or Instagram, Hey, a bunch of people are talking about this, which tells them this must be a really good post. Let's push it up a little bit further. Let's make it a little bit more seen. Got it. And it's the same with business pages, right? Business pages will put posts out and then you ask them, well, do you ever like other businesses pages? Do you ever like their posts? Do you ever, you know, engage on those? And they're always like, no. So for example, if I have a restaurant in the back bay of Boston, I'll always be like, well, did you like the back bay association? Do you ever comment on their posts? Like, wow, that's a beautiful shot. Or, Hey, thanks for the mention. Or do you even mention them? You know, one of the reasons our numbers are steady is we do, we use Facebook notes for, um, like blog posts a lot and we'll tag the clients that are in it. Once we tag those clients and those clients come in and go, Hey, thanks for including us. Or we're so excited to be doing this again. Facebook sees those conversations and goes, okay, this must be of value. Let's push it up. Right. Everybody's forgotten that one thing. Social media has to be social. It has to be social or it's not working. So how much, you know, I mean, I mean, PR 10 years ago. Oh my God. Yeah was completely different than it is now. I mean, it was all about press releases. It was all about building the events leading up, getting the people's name out there in the public. How much, what are you doing differently now in the world of PR as opposed to just social media? So you're right. I mean, and, you know, even like the results, if you got a client on the front page of, let's say the Boston Globe, like they were psyched and that was enough. But now it's a, we live in a measurable world. And again, if we can't measure that those press hits are converting customers one way or the other, whether it means driving traffic 
you know, to our website or foot traffic to our restaurant, then it's dead. So, you know, and our attention span has changed. So yeah, back 10 years ago, you know, you would have to build your own media list and do the research. And there were only a certain amount of writers in each town, you know, cause there was only a certain amount of outlets in each town. And yeah, you draft up a big, huge press release for everything that you do. Now, I mean, half the time these writers are not in the newsroom. They're all over the country. There's freelancers that write for multiple outlets at a time and they're busy and they don't have time to read a press release. So you got to get your info out in a paragraph. Hey, Melissa, happy Thursday. Listen, just want to let you know, um, hurricanes at the garden has TVs outside. It's going to be 85 degrees and sunny. If you're doing any kind of like roundups of where to watch the Bruins game, please keep them in mind. Here's a picture. Right. Peace. See you later. Sorry to bother you. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I never pick up the phone anymore. Like, like, you know, back in the day, you'd be able to call the newsroom and be like, Hey, yeah, I just wanted to see what you're working on today. If you even call somebody on their cell now, when they're trying to get on a deadline, (laughs) they will growl at you. And I don't answer my cell either. So, I mean, I'm no different. We have a great food writer in Philadelphia. His name's Michael Klein. and, And it's, it's awesome to watch. He will post, uh, publicists press releases. Oh, that's my biggest fear in life. Every time I see that. Yeah. Uh, and and he, he actually posted something awesome a couple of years ago when the whole farm to table kind of craze had come out. And that was the new term. Everybody was a farm to table restaurant. Yeah. And he said, I can't wait until the day I actually get a real press release that says we're opening a new Cisco to table restaurant. Yeah. Or U.S. Foods. To U.S. Table. Food. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's the truth. I mean, you know, you talk about being a farm to table restaurant, but there's that U.S. food truck that's coming up and dropping off your flour. Exactly. So, you know, what's uh, but, funny is that journalists do appreciate like that kind of like interaction. Like a lot of, there's a girl here that does it. And every time she does it, I always respond under the post few, not me. Yeah. Every, I do it every time because they laugh because it's like we, all of us publicists, the, the minute we see in post, we're like, oh shit, was that me? I was half asleep. What the <laughs> fuck did I write? Or oh no. You want to know who it was. You oh, really yeah. want to know who that person was. So, but he actually posts the press releases sometimes. He'll cross out some stuff, but, but yeah. he's really very good at it. He says like, this is not the way to do it. I'm going to teach you right now how to reach out to a writer. This yeah. is what you're going to do. And he's really good at it. And, you know, and the cool part I think also is for us as being in the industry, being in restaurants, being in, in the media, the publicity or the publicist kind of, you know, where, where we're, where we're, we're publicizing what it is that we're doing um, to have access so closely to have so much access to the writers, to the journalists. I mean, I have yeah. a tremendous amount of people that I follow that are just journalists. That's you know, that are anchor that are doing that fun stuff. And then they're going, Oh, Hey, Brian Duffy's in Boston. Yep. Let's do something or, you know, something to that. Not that Kim rings is going to do anything for me when I'm in Boston. But that's an old school. Th- think about that. Like that's an important way of thinking. Like it's not just about the writers that are going to, that only write food. Like, you know, a lot of times these stories or these people, they overlap. So building good contacts is not, I mean, that's an old school thing to do. You just got to use new school techniques to do it. Whereas you used to just do Google and put them in an Excel spreadsheet. Now you follow them on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's like when I did, you know, when Jason Santos and I, 
Yeah. When we did the Today Show. And then right after that, you know, Chris Coombs and I are hopping on a totally another network talking about, you know, the business of 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 being in a restaurant during a Super Bowl or right. a Stanley Cup or, you know, a championship game to that effect. And and the, and, and it's funny because I learn stuff all the time. Like I never would have thought to have that conversation with somebody if it weren't for you guys kind of putting that out there to do it. And, and it was awesome. I mean, I can't remember the girl who worked with it, but it, Nicole it was Russo. Nicole yeah. Russo does. She is like the, the number one hospitality publicist in Boston. She and I have known each other for years. She literally, she knows chefs inside and out. And the reason her and I came together is I have, a, you know, I know sports inside and out and we come together and we see all these different angles because you have to see all of the different stories that could possibly be told. You have to. Now with your, with your sports stuff, I know you're, you're bit, you love UFC. I do. And they, you know, they've been so good to me. And, you know, when I first started my business, it felt like I couldn't get, I mean, I had a few clients, but nothing crazy. And then Dana White, who's the president of the UFC, you know, gave me an opportunity. He was like, Hey, listen, we'll throw you some work. And it really kind of opened people's eyes to the fact that I could do it. That's and cool. so I'll always be loyal to them. And I gotta be honest, like, you know, you either love to fight or you don't. And I love to fight. So I love being around these fighters and these events and all this stuff. It's a really great brand. I mean, it really. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a real, I mean, they do really, really great stuff. I mean, their social media, uh, VP of social media is from the Celtics. You know, a lot of times they'll leave there and they'll go over somewhere else. I mean, it's just, it's one of the most powerful sports brands, if not the most powerful sports brands. And they're a joy to work with. They they have their own internal PR team and they're friggin' rock stars. Yeah, that's awesome. They don't even need me. Like, sometimes they come into town, I'm like, why do you guys even use me? You could do this on your own. <laughs> but they like, you know, they love responsibilities. I mean, um, relationships, you know, for them, it's like, yeah, but we like that we can call you and you know somebody at the fire department or that, you know? Right. But right. yeah, I love that. And there's a couple. I mean, I love, you know, right now, I mean, I'm the PR guy for the 76ers is the old UFC PR guy. And, you know, PR people, we try to be friends. So when he called and he said, look, I'm, you know, I want to take out, you know, 25 NBA Sixers reporters in Boston. It wasn't like I was going to turn around and be like, well, you're the enemy. So go fuck yourself. I was like, right, absolutely. Exactly. Let me help you. I mean, I don't have any need for necessarily like Philly sports reporters, but it's not what it's about. You know, because you never know. You might. You might. Well, I mean, and again, it, it, and no matter what, it's still, no matter what we do, it's still always going to come down to that relationship, to that that human interaction yep. that we all have. Even if that human interaction is through an email, there's a respect there. There's a, there's a, there's a camaraderie. There's, I mean, you and I have met once. I know. That's so nuts. Imagine. One time when you were in my restaurant. And, and I mean, I do, I, I talk about you as if I, We've been oh, you're going to Boston? Oh, years. Him. Let me yeah. talk to him. You know, I know, I know who you are and what you do. And, and I think that that's pretty cool. So I like it, it is, it's old. Listen, the, the, the art of connecting has been around since, you know, humankind, it's just how you connect. Right. So it's like, you're doing the same thing, whether you're doing it online or offline. And now these days you got to do it both. Yeah. It's funny. I, I, I'm a member of a, of a fraternity, uh, uh talk at the I know you're a skull. Are you a teak or a skull? I'm a teak. You're a teak. That's right. That's right. And, and they did an article on me a couple of months ago and, and it was really a great article because I didn't know what direction he was going to go with it. And, and we talked for a while. It was probably a 45 minute conversation, but the article that he put, and I just saw the, the, the I just saw the magazine on my desk. It says how relationships created a celebrity. 
And oh, it's wow. funny because I because I kind of thought about that 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 world and what it came down to, but I I I, I still talk to the first ever producer that I worked with on a network show. That's good. You know, I used to feed the crew when I would cook for camera, I would make extra for crew. Um, you know, I created relationships and it's one of the things that I say all the time, you know, it's why I'm on the today show because the woman who books us for the today show, she hears something about Philadelphia and she calls me or she thinks about something that she knows that I can do. She follows me on social media. I follow her. You know, there's always these little things out there, but it's the relationships that build, that put it all together. Because if you're a dick, guess what? People aren't just going to come into your restaurant. They're not going to come into your business. They're not going to come and, you know, do the stuff that we do. We're not going to get their money out of their pocket in those cases. But, and opportunities come from relationships. Totally. Totally. And you, you know, at the end of the day, one of the best things that Dana White ever told me is we were sitting there talking and I said, you know, cause you know, he, we got introduced through a friend and I said, you know, I hope you didn't, you know, hope you don't, you know, employ me when you come to Boston just to like, how about your friend? And he looked at me and he said, I employ you when you come to Boston because you deliver. If I ask you to do something, you deliver and there's no reason I wouldn't. And that's how you are. You know, the Today Show puts you on because they know you're going to give a great segment. You're going to give it your all. You're going to cook good food. You're going to be entertaining. You're going to be your joy to work with. You're easy. Like people want the the path of least resistance. So if they know somebody's a good person and they're going to work hard, it's a no brainer. They'll go to you first before they even ask anybody else. It's awesome. So are you only doing stuff in Boston or do you, you know, I mean, can, can somebody from Philadelphia reach out to you and say, oh, Hey, yeah. I want you to help me do my PR. Absolutely. I got clients in New York. Um, I helped a, a Philly, well, Morristown, New Jersey. They like to say they're from Philly, but they're oh, not. Oh, everybody does. I know. I my know. buddy has the greatest Twitter and the greatest Instagram and it is just outside of Philly. Which is Morristown. Yeah. Which is, which is everything because anytime that you say like, where are you from? And people are like, Oh my God, I'm from Philly. And I'm like, Oh, where they're like, you know, just outside of Philly. I'm like, Oh, where they're like Princeton. Back up, back up, back up. I do that though. I mean, I live 13 miles North of Boston and you'd think I was born in this, the mean streets, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I worked with clients in Morristown. I've worked in clients in New York, clients in LA. I got, I mean, they're, I'm, I just, you know, Boston's my home. I just stay here. It doesn't really, I'll go anywhere though. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I think I've taken up enough time for your time during the day. I love talking to you. I could talk to you all day, every day. The best. Keep doing well, what you're doing. I, I'm so proud to see you succeed over and over again. Thanks so much. And it was, you know, I, it was great to meet you last year after all the years that we have been. I know. Again, we're, we're, we're due. So we're going to do it on my turf this time. <laughs> and your husband was like, hold on for a second. We're, we're going to meet some dude that you met on Twitter. Yeah, he's used to it. But yeah, I know. That's what I do too. I'm like, oh my God, we're going to Salt Lake City. I met this guy on Twitter once. We should totally check him out. And people are yeah. like, really, dude? Yeah. But their relationships. And the funny part is that they're to the point that they're actually like they're real relationships. Like I can't wait to get to San Antonio because I have a couple of friends of mine that I've met through social media in San Antonio. Awesome. I'm excited to go and be able to meet these people. If you do it right, it opens up the world to new friends. It's the truth. Absolutely. And we're yep. going to leave it at that. I love what you just said. That's awesome. Okay. So, um, all right. Well, Kim, thank you so much for hopping on. Do me a favor one more time. Tell everybody how they can get in contact with you. Best way is Twitter and Instagram is at ring PR girl. Facebook is slash ringcom, And then my email, Kim at ring dash communications.com. But social media is always the, the first way and the best way. 
<laughs> All right. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for hopping on. Have a great day. All right, my friend. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Well, there we go. There's another one. Uh, you know, I, 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 people always say to me, oh, who do you talk to on the podcast? And, and, and you know, what's your kind of guest? Uh, what's the average guest that you're having on? And, and I don't have any average one type of person that I bring onto the show with the exception of there are people that are interesting and that have knowledge and that have uh, a, an interesting kind of viewpoint on, on the world. And again, there is the epitome of a relationship that I have created through social media with somebody who I consider a friend. Like I know that if I'm in Boston and, and if I don't know if Kim would bail me out, but I know that if I got in trouble, I could probably call her and she'd say, okay, cool. I got somebody for you that can help you out in that situation. Not that I ever plan on getting arrested in Boston. But for me, it's uh, it, it's a big thing. And and I, I know, you know, one of the things that, that Kim and I talked a lot about was was that interaction and and how to gain the followers and the proper ways to kind of to go about stuff. And that's what I really wanted you guys to take out of this because um, I just love what Kim does. I love um, the, the the approach that she has through her marketing, the approach that she has um, through with her clients and stuff that she does to move forward. And, and I'm, I'm impressed by her. There's a, there's I have hired publicists in the past that have done national stuff. And you know what? They were good for a little while, but ultimately they get kind of bored and they get stagnant. And, and in my world that I, I believe that Kim is one of those people who's fresh. She's innovative. She comes up with new ideas. She knows where to reach out to the right people. And she know and she's not my publicist. I want everybody to know. No, that, that's, she is not my PR person. That's, that's not it. She's a friend. And, and every now and then, if she's got something going on in Philly, we communicate, but, but I, I, I do try to send her a, Hey, how are you every now and then? So, um, so that's the show for this week. Uh, that was, uh, the wonderful Kim ring. Um, I love talking to her all the time. Um, so follow her at all of her stuff at uh, ring PR girl. She's out there. Um, and, uh, and that's what I got guys. It's really simple. Just kind of a wrap up here real quick. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Duffified live. I want everybody to do me a favor, uh, go and check out, uh, some of the stuff that I've been doing with my consulting. Um, if you guys have a restaurant or something to that effect, I'd love to come in and do some, some evaluations with your property. I'd love to come in and talk about menus, how to, how to organize it a little bit more, how to maximize your space, how to, how to get your staff, you know, retain that staff, um, retain that engagement engagement with your staff. And, and those are the things, you know, we can all talk about marketing and how we need to market, but without having the whole, um, you know, you know, uh, an umbrella over top of everything, encompassing every part of it, even within the four walls, then, then you're marketing to people that are going to come in and ultimately to be disappointed. So I'd love to get into your space. I'd love to give you a couple of ideas on how to maximize what you've got going on. Send us an email. It's really, really simple. It's chefbrianduffy at gmail.com. You can reach out to us through there. Um, and we will uh, set up a call with you. We'll have a conversation, put a proposal together, come out and check you out. Um, that is the advertising that I do for my business. In regards to this podcast of Duffified Live, feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Duffified Live. You can always check us out on Twitter and me on Twitter and Instagram as well at Chef Bride Duff. Um, send me a message. Let's talk. Let's communicate. These are the things that I want to do. I want to find out who you guys want on the show. I want to find out topics that you guys are interested in. That's what I like to do. I like to get that. It's not just about me. 
It's about you guys as well. Follow the three people that are really important to me as well when it comes to this show. It's Jerry and Jason with RadioInfluence.com. These are the guys that deal with all my bullshit. They deal with my crazy schedule. They deal with me doing three, four, and five podcasts, sometimes at a shot, uh, and me trying to put it all together. They do all of it. So check out the podcast, the wealth of information that these guys have. Um, If you guys have a good idea for a podcast and you think it's something that people are going to be out there and listen to, hey, Give us a shout. Reach out to the boys at RadioInfluence.com. I guarantee you that they can help you in the right, to push you in the right direction. Uh, Maggie Gagliardi does all of our uh, promo pieces, and her artistic work is just unmatched. So check her out as well. Uh, and then we have Michelle out there at Techno Solution, who does all of our graphics and all of our uh, our web stuff. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Duffified Live. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is an Ian Beckles Flavor In Your Ear Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Scott Bradley, um, Florida Gator from way back when. I heard Bobby Bowden one time say that Scott Bradley's the best high school football player I've ever seen. So he was a damn pretty damn good football player and a tough SOB, that's for sure. So this guy laid it on the line way back when. Now his family's taking care of him and he doesn't deserve anything. Oh, by the way, the NFL only insures you five years after you retire, then it's all on your own. Knowing very well that your, your, your body's beat up and that you're going to have problems getting insurance later on anyways. These NFL owners who could all kiss my ass, they've never cared about a player. And for all these stories to be coming out, and Scott Bradley's not the only situation. There's a lot of players that are struggling and hurting, and the NFL doesn't give a rat's ass about them. They really don't. You know what the NFL's worried about? They're worried about their money, and they're worried about making their own amendments and making players do something they don't want to do. You can find Ian Beckles' Flavor in Your Ear on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.